You're listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your hosts, Josh Furlong and Robert Jackson. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. I'm Josh Furlong, joined today with co-host Robert Jackson. Rob, are you uh, rested, relaxed, everything that uh, you need for the football season? Dude, it's been a minute, but how you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Uh, football's a couple days away as we kick off the season with these uh, Week Zero games. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Blake Anderson's Utah State team take the field against UConn, and then the uh, the big game in Ireland, Nebraska at Northwestern. Week so, Zero, yeah. we're here. We're ready. We're ready. Let's do this. Football season. Football season. So we're still we're still a little bit of ways out from uh, the actual season starting. I know that's weird. We have week zero and we don't get real football is what people think. I'm, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I mean, everybody's going to be watching Florida A&M at uh, North Carolina. Oh, right? 100%. Like appointment TV or <laughs> hey. Wyoming at Illinois. Look, I, I, I'm actually excited to be able to see Utah State play, see what they're they're able to bring back, but also a game in Ireland. I mean, let's let's do it. Next year you get Notre Dame in Ireland, which, I mean, that's got to be – that's got to be making its money already yeah. right now. So, I, I, you know, back when there was just like one game in the week zero, it was great because it was like a, an opportunity to showcase, you know, football. I think they had one in Australia. I think UCLA was a part of it. And, you know, the game in Ireland. If you're going to play at home, like don't have a week zero game. Just yeah. start with the rest of them. It's a waste you know? of time. But if you want to showcase across the, uh, you know, across the sea, then I'm all for it. I think that that game, Nebraska at Northwestern in Ireland, will be a, a good showcase to the world. Uh, the sport of college football. And, and I know that they have like the Euro league and they've got the, the CFL and other things, but uh, there's just something about the college game that most of us just love the pageantry, um, the, the field, the fight songs, the band. I mean, to me, that's, that's what makes college football head and shoulders above the NFL product. And you can fight me to to the death and I will, I will stand on that hill. <laughs> NCAA is way better. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, I think it's, it's different products and I think it's, it's fun. And yeah, I, it's and I love polished. both. And I get that, but uh, it's just the pageantry that the, the teams, you know, fighting for the, you know, their, the name on their Jersey more so than you would say in the NFL, you know, that, that to me is what, uh, what I love about watching it. And I'm excited to see, you know, how the Utes can go down into the swamp and play, you know, I guess, Oh man, a week from Saturday. So it's it, counting down the days. Now we're, we're done counting down the weeks. We're now counting down the days and it's going to be a huge game for Utah to go in. And, you know, according to Florida fans on social media, they does Utah even make the trip? Like the humidity is so so strong. Like I don't even know if Utah should even attempt to go down there. You shouldn't even play the they game. They might Rob. melt getting off the plane. Like, <laughs> well, it, yeah, I, I, it's been funny because you know I I tweeted what was this now two weeks ago uh, about Utah just trying to do different things to acclimate themselves. Right, like this wasn't a full acclimation to humidity or anything. It was more just trying to replicate it as best as possible. And uh, somehow it, it got put on some message board or some other thing. And I, I my tweets were blowing up for days. Um, and it, it was funny to be able to see, you know, a lot of uh, Florida fans just talking about how difficult it is to play there. And you, you, reading those tweets, you'd think that nobody's ever gone into the swamp and won. But 
you know, I, I think it's fun. I think that, that that's exactly what you talked about, you know, with the, the fun of college football, right? You, you, you're invested in the product because you went to that school most likely, or you had a family member who did, or, or there's some reason for you to be invested. The NFL, I mean, that it's not always that way, right? Like I, my favorite team has no bearings on where I live or anything that way, but I think it's, it's a fun aspect of college football. And I think that's fun. So look, and give Florida fans credit, man. If you could pack, what is it? 89,000 people into Ben, ben Griffith, Hill, Griffith stadium, stadium, Ben Hill Griffith. That, I mean, that, that's impressive. You, you, you tip your cap to the most of the big 10 schools, but most of the uh, most, if not all of the sec schools, cause that is awesome i mean <laughs> utah is going to be in i mean everybody's like oh well, race cycles is loud yeah it's loud with forty five thousand. but try doubling that and that's what you're going to get and uh, sticky at the swamp. that's yeah well <laughs> <laughs> well there's there's probably other reason with all the alcohol and some other stuff there but uh i you know that it's gonna that be a fun environment and yeah if, if it's a close game then yeah the the home field advantage definitely goes towards florida i mean that's one of the toughest places to play in fact i heard somewhere that they haven't lost a non-conference home opener since like the eighties. And I went back and looked, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're playing Alabama, Chattanooga college of <laughs> Tennessee tech, then yeah, of course. But I mean, this is a big game for both programs. They're trying to make a name for themselves too. And the last I heard the game was sold out yep. uh, with the exception of a few uh, tickets that you have to be like a season ticket holder, you know, to, to, uh, to acquire, but uh, that that's it's going to be a, an amazing environment. National TV uh, on ESPN, it's going to be awesome. The place is going to be rocking, and hopefully, Utah can uh, make some noise on the national front because they're they're in a prime position to do that. And if you look at the college football realignment landscape, what better year for Utah to kind of be on that forefront with all of this realignment going on? We don't even know what's going to happen. Like to be one of those contenders where you're <laughs> say, Hey, like, look at us, look at our program. Look at what we're done. We're a, we're a top tier research institution. We're making a name for ourselves on our a football front. Craig Smith is trying to revitalize the basketball program. Like, yeah, why not invest in us in, you know, we can see with seven to $8 billion on the table of this new big 10 deal that got announced last week. I mean, I, I'm not advocating or saying or speculating that Utah could be a part of the Big Ten, but they should be at least a part of these discussions about college football realignment. And, you know, where where does it all end up? I, I don't know. But Utah is in a prime position this season to make a name for itself. Well, and and I, I just don't think the, the reality is, is I don't think Utah is in a bad spot, right? Like, you know, no, not at all. If they, if they go into the SEC and they go down to, you know, Florida and they lose that game, I still don't think that puts any – any problems on Utah's shoulders, right? I mean, I think obviously it you want to win. It depends on how you lose. Well, sure. It, it like depends you get on how blown you out. Lose. If, it, if it's a red rocket, you know, Andy Dalton, 47 to seven, I'm sure everybody's forgotten that 2010 <laughs> game. Nobody's if forgotten that If it's something like that, then man, like, yeah, that's going to be hard to rebound from. But, sure, uh, absolutely. If you lose on a last second field goal or something, like no one's going to bat an eye. I mean, people are going to say, wow, great game, Utah. Well, I mean, look at the Rose Bowl. Like Utah got more credit for losing that Rose Bowl game than almost any other game that they've played in their short history of, you know, being uh, in the Pac-12. It's it's kind of crazy. But uh, you, you go toe to toe with some of these name brand programs and and uh, you get the benefit of the doubt, you know, more so than if you're playing at home versus a Fresno State or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what they want, you know, and I think I think Utah will be fine. I mean, our, our goal is to uh, to bring on a Florida beat writer here, you know, this week or next week to talk to them and 
kind of get a little bit more X's and O's of, of what that's going to be. So stay tuned with that. We'll, we'll do our best to be able to kind of get that to you and, and talk there. But uh, Rob, you, you mentioned a little bit about that Big Ten deal, right? Let's let's jump into that a little bit. This this happened last week. Um, the Big Ten signed their contract. It, you know, the contract is with Fox, CBS, NBC, and Peacock, all their streaming services. So that includes, you know, Paramount Plus, that kind of stuff. It's it's rumored to be anywhere between seven billion and eight billion. That's about seventy million per team. That's that's a chunk of change that that all of those are are going. And this to is love. just the media payouts yes, too. This, this doesn't include college football playoff or March Madness, which, which I mean, will all come be renegotiated in like a couple of years. So sure, that's that's crazy, and that's and that's going to change the landscape most likely for every conference in that respect. Uh, to to me, I mean, yeah, Ohio State has probably done enough to deserve seventy million. Michigan probably done enough to deserve that. But you're telling me that Illinois and Indiana are up there with the rest of them because I know they're going to do equal shares, and it's like. Rutgers is going to make an equal share. (laughs) Like, wait, like uh, you're going to tell me that Rutgers is going to be on the same level as Ohio state making $70 million a year. I mean, to me that just, that's just an incredible amount of money. And um, yeah, some of the teams in the, in the big 10 obviously deserve that. I mean, Ohio state has been a predominant top five, if not top two team for, I mean, since urban Meyer um, went there, even before that with Jim Trestle and, you know, Michigan has historically been good and they've had a revitalization under Jim Harbaugh, you know, this last season where they were in finally in the college football playoff. So it, those schools, I mean, deserve it and re- deservedly. So they deserve everything that they get coming to them. But some of these other schools, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see the draw. And, you know, they, they also mentioned that, uh, that there's the potential for an escalation clause, you know, if they get, you know, more members. And I'm thinking, well, what what school is going to cause that media rights value to go up? You already have the L.A. market. There's I mean, unless you're able to dismantle the ACC, I, I just don't see uh, the money to throw another two to three billion dollars at the big 10 i mean what what do you see happening here well th- this is the interesting thing because when that first came out the escalator clause everybody's like oh no conference realignment is it's it's back you know and i mean not that it hasn't been stewing in the background but the escalator clauses have been written into every single one of these tv contracts since at least 2010 so it's not like these right. aren't aren't usual things to be in there now with that said i think you know these are probably going to be um, considered much more in the, in the in the future, in the sense that okay, look, the deal is worth seven to eight billion. It has a, an escalator clause to get it up to about ten billion. You know, there's been comments talking about how um, the Big Ten wants to expand and they continue to want to do this. But to your point, I, I I don't know who adds value to that outside of like a Clemson or a Notre Dame. But beyond that, I think there's another caveat to this that that adds to that, right? So I don't think necessarily there's a team out there besides Notre Dame or Clemson. And Notre Dame, my honest impression is that they're staying. They're going to stay independent. They're not going to do uh, a jump to the Big Ten. But the, the real value here for the Big Ten is you've got CBS as part of one of your partners, right? Now, they paid, if I remember right, it was something like $325 million. Now, with that, you've got to be able to have good games, right? You're not just going all in on, on the Big Ten to get a crap game. But what happens is a lot of these games, you know, the first game, the second game, those rights of refusal go to Fox, maybe to an NBC. NBC and CBS are kind of in that same area. 
they have to be able to have those top-tier games. That's what Fox wants. There's a whole reason why Fox wants that whole thing. So they're going to take those top games. But what happens is in those three, you know, that number three game for the week, who's that game going to be? Okay, you got Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan State, you know, Wisconsin. Especially on the weeks those teams play each other, who's that third best game? Are you really going to be excited about Wisconsin playing Indiana? Are you going to be excited about Rutgers playing uh, Northwestern? No, I mean like that's that's a, the area where we're coming into now. I say that knowing that USC and UCLA are going to be there in a couple of years. Maybe UCLA will figure that out later. But I think there there is real value there in the sense that you need inventory, you need sexy names to be able to come into that conference and be able to say, look. You know, look, we, we need a third-tier game. And I think that's essentially where this next expansion is going. You know, is that Oregon? Is that Washington? Is it Clemson? Is it, you know, I don't think it's Utah, but maybe it's Utah in there, right? Those types of things, I think you're fighting for that third-tier game. It's still going to be a great opportunity. You still get that 70-plus million just from the media rights. You get, you know, prime exposure on CBS. I mean, who doesn't want to be able to be on network television? Anytime you're on ABC, right. that's great, right? I will I will say that the uh, social media post that they put out with the uh, cue the music with the uh, that was SEC weird. on so CBS weird. theme, I was like, oh, this, this does not work with uh, Indiana and Illinois running onto the field as the music. I mean, it just... It was like that watching. Was it was like watching Tom Brady take snaps for the first time with the Bucks. You're like, this just doesn't feel right. Yeah, it's just awkward, but I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's what they're paying for is these tier two, tier three games. I mean, uh, yeah, there's going to be weeks on the schedule where it the, the matchup's going to be Purdue at Illinois, and that's the draw that you get. And it, that's, yeah, unless you can get the, I mean, in two years when, so I guess the, CBS has one more year of SEC. Yeah. And so they're, they're kind of staggered in this deal where they're kind of, kind of be backfilled more towards the end of the contract but it it, it is going to be interesting to see how that how they all play out and then especially if nbc re-ups which it looks like they're going to do with notre dame how does that play in with nbc's package for the big 10 and is there going to be a time where they're like well we need to we want you know notre dame to be in the primetime slot we need to schedule an earlier game well how does that conflict with the you know the the cbs game and all that i it, it's it's crazy to see um all of this intertwined and it'll it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out but yeah there, there's going to be there, there's going to be weeks in the big 10 where there's going to be uh games that aren't going to be as as watched but the, the the main thing that i see out of this deal is espn is completely absent yep that they're not they're not getting anything on espn plus they're not getting anything on the mainstream espn or abc and you know historically as you can see in the pac-12 like you want to be on ESPN because those are the talking heads. That's the everybody goes to watch college game day, right? Whether your your games on Fox or FS1, it doesn't matter. You're still starting your morning with college game day, and that's you know to to you probably want to be more aligned with ESPN and um, yeah, I mean, it could could be good news for the Pac-12. I'm not going to guarantee it because if you know, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, and Cal go to the Big Ten, then obviously this is not good for the Pac-12. But to, to have someone like ESPN potentially in your corner could be a good thing for the Pac-12. We don't know. It's too early to call. Um, but, I mean, but it, I think it, the, the thing here, too, is with the Big Ten, this, this is very – I don't want to even call it short-sighted because I think there is long-term goals here. But I think the fact that you're just basically partnering up with Fox, creating this kind of NFL-style style network in the sense that you, you know, cross-promotions with CBS, NBC, that's phenomenal. I think that's great for football. 
the problem is you still have those tiers. You still have games that you need to fill. You also, in the college basketball landscape, those games are going mostly on the Big Ten network. Fox isn't going to show a lot of those games. Part of that, too, yeah, there's been a lot of people coming in and watching that morning show with Fox. They've done a phenomenal job of being able to get, you know, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinhardt, or, or Urban Myers on there again. You know, you're getting these guys that people want to watch, and they put out a phenomenal product. That big noon kickoff that they do has been a phenomenal thing for them. They've made a lot of money. It's a great game, but that's it. That's, that's where they go. They've got FS1, and, and unless you want to watch truck driving until like 8.30 p.m. for your game, there's, there's right. not a lot there. And that's, and that's the problem to me is, is you don't have any inventory beyond that, right? You've got phenomenal um, viewership in those Fox and FS1 and those different you know, opportunities. But beyond that, you've now just essentially undercut yourself in the way of being able to have ESPN, which can go from sunup to sundown. You've got all that, you know, revenue and, and, and opportunities there. Now, with that being said, I'm not saying that the Big Ten is going to hurt themselves, but I think at the same time, you also kind of have to look at what this is going to be long term, right? Are you going to get the inventory? Are you going to get the best bang for your buck? Sure, you're paying a ton and Fox is, you know, in your pockets essentially because they own the network and you've been with them the whole time. But is this a short-sighted, you know, valuation in the sense that maybe you're not really giving yourself the best marketability college game day is still on ESPN. Are they going to promote only the best ESPN programs? That's going to be sec, which everybody thinks they're in the pockets together anyway. So you've got that. Now I don't think that, you know, college game day is going to avoid the big 10, but I think it, it changes in a lot of ways how that network is viewing the big 10 in the sense that, look, we have zero ties with you now. The only reason we want to do it is because we still want to talk about Ohio state. We still want to talk about Michigan. Other than that, they don't have any you know vested interest in there. And so I think to some extent that does give value to, you know, the, you know, the big 12, the PAC 12, the ACC, the SEC, SEC, obviously that's, that's a no brainer. But I think maybe that, that gives these conferences a little bit of leverage to say, like, look, we can give you everything that you need as long as it comes with the right price. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. It, it, it will be. But the, the, the cool thing that, that they've, uh, they, they've also announced is the uh, Paramount Plus is picking up some games for CBS and Peacock is going to pick up some games for NBC. And we could see some sort of a streaming model for the Pac-12 not not for the tier one games, but maybe the tier two, tier three maybe games the where Pac-12 you do have to that, subscribe. Right? Maybe yeah. the Pac-12 says, look, we, we understand tier one rights is, is still king and we'll still have some of that. But maybe they do like an MLS or or something like that where they say, look, Apple or Amazon, we're going to do it. We're going to take this risk. I mean, at this point, I'm not saying this is the way they should go. But at this point, do they have anything to lose? The conference is always going to be talked mm-hmm. about, and you know, uh, stability and being able to stay. Oregon is clearly trying to find its way out in some respects. So why not try something? Now, I'm not saying that's the best right. But at the same time, like, do something. Try to find something that works. George Klyavikov has has his work cut out for him in trying to figure out and piece together a deal that can lock in Oregon and Washington, Stanford and Cal. Because if those pieces leave, the Pac-12 is over as we know it, and it becomes the Mountain West Conference Plus. Some could even argue that it's, it's that now, but I would make the argument that USC and UCLA haven't done anything in 10 plus years, you know. Uh, so I, I think that wasn't it Colorado's AD that said, hey, we're not losing any college football playoff teams, uh, <laughs> yeah. in this deal with UCLA <laughs> and UC, USC leaving. And, and he's absolutely right. Like the only two that have been are Oregon and Washington. So, um, to me, the PAC 12, I still, you know, I agree with John Wilner who he, he's on KSL.com a ton with his, his work, uh, with the, the PAC 12 hotline. I agree with him that, uh, the PAC 12 staying together is a slight, 
four and a five, four and a half point favorite at this point. And I, and I would agree with that until something is solidified, unless, you know, Florida state says, Hey, we're, we're dismantling the ACC tomorrow. And all of a sudden there's all this uh, conference realignment chaos. Um, I, I, I just see the pack 10 being able to stick together. I still do think that they should add San Diego state. That's a, that's a side story because who, who do you add as the, the, the 12th team? You know, you can make an argument for a bunch of different teams, but I, I, I think the PAC 12 sticks together. Uh, they probably should rename it back to the PAC 10 though. If they, <laughs> if they leave it at 10 and numbers don't and matter we'll, in we'll conferences. See. I know big 12 has what? 10 teams. And they'll have, they will have 10 teams, but then they'll have 14 when they add BYU. And <laughs> yeah. TCU. I, I don't have... know. Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever that number is. Is it, is it, is it 12? They'll have six. Are they going to have 12? So they're at 10 right now. And they're so at 10, but then they lose two, but then they have, have 14 four. and then they'll go down to 12 again. Back to, oh, there you go. Well, they, I guess they're the only conference that, that, uh, <laughs> they have their name correctly. I don't know. Crazy. I don't know. This will be an interesting thing. Like I, the, the thing that keeps coming back to me is, is the conference realignment isn't going to necessarily happen immediately anymore, right? USC, UCLA went. If they really wanted to be able to get more West Coast teams or any other teams, they would have done it at the same time. So I think right. that means that this is kind of at a stay, right? That doesn't mean that this isn't going to change three to five years or even less. But I think where we're at right now is kind of where we're we're going to see right. things. And I think the and, next... And, and, and I don't think that unless, you know, a, a, an ACC or let's say Oklahoma and Texas say, hey, we're going to the Big Ten... Something like that would have to happen sure. for more more of these dominoes to start falling because right now, as you look at it, there's just not the lucrative, you know, media pie or media rights base where you could just say, "Hey, we need the Dallas market." You know, we're going to pick up, you know, University of Texas and University of Oklahoma. I mean, if you're able to do that, then like the Big Ten was able to do with USC, UCLA, then obviously you do it. You, you don't even think about it. But Oregon, Washington they don't add to that big 10 value. I mean, they do, they do provide a lot of things for USC and UCLA in the, in, in the, in regards to like traveling, you could have like a Western pod of the big 10 or, you know, something like that, but you're not going to be able to renegotiate your TV contract to get more money. And so then are you, are, are your members going to say, okay, we're, we're happy with 70. Uh, we're willing to take 60 and include these other teams. They're probably not going to do that. Right. Like they're only going to do it if, if it stays the same or it increases. And so would a team be willing to take less of the slice of pie? P- potentially, you know, you could have a, a team like Washington or Oregon that say, Hey, we'll take a 50% ref share. You know, th- that is possible, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just think that the PAC 12 does stick together. They do find something and hopefully the games are, are easier to find and they're able to distribute the product because it is, fun to watch that is a good product and uh i i think that last season um was very indicative of the season before you know you had the short covid season we did we had these and kind of like you can practice you can't practice especially in the state of california where they were way more restrictive than we were here in utah you kind of saw that kind of sloppy season we'll say that in 2020 uh, reflect into 2021. All of that's over. All of that's off the table. Everybody's back on the on the same page. And I think that Utah is going to hit the ground running and be a contender here in the Pac-12. And we'll see where it goes. But uh, one of the uh, things that I wanted to, to bring up was some of the college football changes. Uh, we have some rule changes that are happening. And you've been all over it. Do you want to 
give us a, a little rundown on what these rule changes are going to be for this upcoming season? I'm so far over this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, there, there's there's a <laughs> couple. There, there's a there's a few that are of most interest to me, and that the first one is obviously targeting. Everybody has their opinions on targeting, and we you know we could oh, we could give a million. Somebody minutes. just got flagged. Ah, dang it! Fifteen yards. Now he's out for a game. The the targeting rule. Look, I get it. It's it's there in theory to be able to protect people and to be able to help people be safe, right? I get it. It's a violent sport. You want to make sure that you're putting people in a in a better situation. And we've all watched games where that targeting rule 100%, you know, was enforced because that was a violent hit and it should never have been like that. But there's a lot more of these hits in the gray area. And that's what the, you know, the NCA is trying to kind of figure out. I still think that they're not there all the way. But what they're going to do is, okay, let's say, you know, Rob is out there on the field and he gets a targeting call on him in the second half. He gets ejected from the game. They, they sustain it, you know, whatever it is from the booth. And they say, okay, yep, there was a clear target. You're out. Well, what that does, normally you have to sit out that second half and then the first half of the next game. What the NCAA has now done is they've now allowed the, the the schools to appeal that decision after that game, and then it can go and I don't you know whatever this committee is that, that reviews it, they can look at it to say okay was this clearly a targeting call and should it be upheld that way? After that point, if that you know it gets overruled or whatever it may be, they don't have to sit out in that first half anymore, which is phenomenal. It it sucks in the sense that you know you 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 can't do that in the first half and then have it reviewed in halftime. Like we, Rob and I were talking about this before uh, we got on this podcast, that would be a great opportunity because look, you sit out the first half, it sucks to lose you know a good player for a half of play, but if you could have something there to be able to review it, that's great. But I think this is at least another step that helps this in the sense that, look, if it happens in the second half, then you're okay, right? You can at least potentially mm-hmm. not have that in the first game. Uh, I, I love the step in the right direction, but I do wish that it would go further. You know, like we were t- mentioning before, like, you know, that, that we've seen so many inconsistent calls. And if you want to be, you know, overly aggressive in how you call targeting, then I'll, I'm all for it. As be long consistent. as you call it consistently. Be consistent. Yeah. Be consistent. You know, if I get tripped and I graze your helmet, and I get the flag thrown on me, and you call it, well, you better call that same call later in the game. That's just how it is, right? Uh, And and that's the the biggest complaint that a lot of people have is, it's not that we're calling it too tight. It's just been so inconsistent. So I I, I think when in doubt, yeah, throw the flag, go through the review process. It would be nice if there was a centralized review board uh, across college football so that you don't get this, oh, the Pac-12 calls it differently than the Big Ten, which calls it differently than the SEC. I mean, that would be great to, to be on a unified front so that when you do have a, a different um, set of referees, like in a bowl game, you know, where you have, you know, SEC refs or whatever, that you can kind of know what to expect when it comes to the, that sort of process. But I think it's a step in the right direction, and, and that's why I'd like it. I, I think that uh, – I still think the the full game suspension is a little bit of a over aggressive measure, but it's it's in the it, it's in the name of the safety of the players, and so you can't, you can't it's it's hard to argue that right. Uh, but it as long as it's called consistently, I think that fans will appreciate the the over uh, concern that you know that. Uh, that football has on players' health and player safety. I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing is 
we, we can all think of a play in the back of our mind where, you know, a player got flagged for targeting when it shouldn't have been, or he got blocked into the guy or whatever it might've been. As long as it's called consistently, I think that people will anticipate that as being as fair as it can be. It's not going to be perfect, but, uh, just 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 give us some consistency man Mm. (laughs) that's all i ask for and and i completely agree with you i don't i don't think there's ever going to be a a consistent um rule for targeting that's going to to make it so that everybody feels like everything's great right in in a perfect world if it was in that gray area i mean throw the flag but don't throw the guy out of the game yeah if i mean if it let's say you have four check boxes. Did he did he launch? Check. Did he hit contact with the helmet? Check. What was it avoidable? No, it wasn't because you know X, Y, or Z. Well, then at that point, maybe you throw it out as a gray area. Like, hey, like it was unavoidable. He couldn't have done it because he got pushed in the back or whatever it might have been. Like, um, it, it, I don't know. But I, I this is at least a step in the right direction. The other one that they uh, implemented was blocking below the waist, and we saw this. <laughs> Uh, happen in the NFL preseason last night with the Giants. I mean, what, on Thibodeau. What, what, what's the rule going to be here for college uh, blocking below the waist, the chop block? We've all seen it, especially it, Utah has a huge history with it. And, you know, I'm playing Air Force. They were, um, I mean, they almost used it every, every play. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what do you kind of see? I mean, I, I, I get the, the gist of what they're trying to do and, and, and protect these players' knees, but what, I mean, what what is the exact rule, and how does it uh, change going into this season? Yeah, so what what this will be is this will only allow blocking below the waist by linemen and stationary backs is what they've called it inside the tackle box. So anything that's taken outside of the tackle box is essentially a penalty. Now, you know, if if you did happen to catch the Kayvon Thibodeau injury yesterday, that was technically a legal play in the NFL, even under these rules that the college football is is putting together. They were in the tackle box. It was there. It, it's a tough play, right? Like, chop blocks, I, I get it. Like, it, it feels like a dirty play. You're going for somebody's knees. You're, you're going in a way that it isn't really... I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it. it isn't really substantive to a block, right? It's more just taking somebody's feet out from underneath them and forcing them to kind of you know, hide their, their body so that they don't get to the quarterback or whatever it may be. So I think, I I think it's good for the game. I mean, I think for the most part, you're not seeing a lot of chop blocking anymore in college football. I I think there's been a lot done to not do that. Um, I'll be interesting to see how this is. We, we clearly have issues with, is that inside the tackle box? Is that inside, you know, whatever we get that with intentional grounding all the time. Is it within the two tackles? Is it whatever it may be? And so I, I think there's going to be some leeway there. Ultimately, I don't think this rule is going to change a ton. I know there's other you know rules that can be changed and different things that people feel like is going to make the game harder. But ultimately, I think this is more for player safety. I think it's good. Um, and I, I, don't, I personally don't have a problem with it, but it's one that you're probably going to see this year. Yeah, I, I think the the one place that you'll see it a ton is on those bubble screens uh, where you have a wide exactly. receiver going up going up against a corner. You know, the the easy block is just to kind of lay down, do the chop block, but uh, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. So, uh, how that changes schemes for teams? I, I mean, Utah ran the screen intermittently over the years. Uh, some years they had more success than others. Um, <laughs> they didn't but, have the uh, talent, truthfully, in the years past. <laughs> the t- bubble t- screen would be speed, like right. three yards behind the line of scrimmage because nothing would happen. Right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, yeah. But other teams, you know, like Oregon, they ran out of ton. I mean, that's, you know, the sideline to sideline speed. I mean, that's what made them so dangerous. Uh, getting the, bo- the ball to a receiver in an open field situation is um, – 
is going to be beneficial in a lot of ways. But when you can't do that blocking anymore, I think that that's good. Um, so it, it just changes your strategy. And Utah's wide receivers have actually been really good at man-to-man blocking. They haven't had to really implement the the chop block a whole lot. So when well, you I talk to a lot of those guys, affect Utah a ton. They take a lot of pride in that, right? Like a lot yeah. of those guys, they really do. And, and I know it's kind of a joke among amongst Utah fans that oh, you're going to get a wide receiver who's just a blocker. I get it. Like I really do. Like I understand that that you know you want these guys to be able to be effective pass catchers and be able to do that but but they really have done a phenomenal job of being able to step up like i i, I joked about it but i mean seriously like five years ago even you know utah throw a bubble screen in there and it would get blown up five yards behind the line of scrimmage they just didn't have the athletes to contend with that now you're getting there but they also don't need bubble screens they don't need to you know that trickeration i don't call it trickery you know what i mean but I, I I don't think they need that to be able to be effective. So I don't I don't think this impacts Utah. I don't honestly think this impacts a lot of college teams. Um, maybe a, you know, a triple option type team would would uh, be impacted by it a lot more. But I think uh, I think it's fine. So, but let's... Uh, the other thing that uh, really quick, the other thing that rule that will hopefully improve the the uh, the game experience for the fans will be the elimination of stats for reviews with unless it's under two minutes in the second or fourth quarter they're not going to take forever to you know get the clock right or this you know the game you know whatever the clock is when they do the review that's what it's going to be so that should hopefully speed up the reviews um i, I know so. that that's honestly that, that's just always been like a site like oh man here we go again and then and then and then they get the call right or you know they change the call but then they have to go in and say okay well what was the clock when the when the ruling happened okay okay what what down is it it just takes forever, right? So to be able to streamline that, get that to a point where it's like, unless it's really impacting the clock, like in the last two minutes of the half, it, they shouldn't really have to go through that. And so I think it's a good thing. Hopefully it'll uh, make the game more, uh, uh, speed up the, the pace of the game and not have like these inevitable five minute timeouts due to reviews every every quarter. So that's one thing that, that for me personally, I've always uh, dreaded is you know the the late especially for some of these late night games or the the reviews and the the over excessive TV timeouts. I I'm excited that they're making strides to make the game faster. Well, so. you, you have to. I mean, honestly, like in college basketball had a problem with this. They had so many TV timeouts. They had and those timeouts were so long that it just completely changed the dynamic of the game. You weren't getting that vibe and being able to keep that momentum. College football is kind of getting into that way. You have to have reviews. I get it. Like these, these things matter, right? Especially as gambling is getting more involved into sporting, you need to make sure that you're making the right decision or else you're going to potentially swing millions of dollars. Right. But I think these different things are are going to help. It's, it's different things that allow us to move on. Now, with that being said, if your game is on Fox, you're still going to have your five minute TV timeouts for whatever reason. They love those timeouts. They love to do it. I swear it was like, okay, kickoff, you know, Britton Covey runs it back for 30 yards. Okay. We're going to go take a five minute timeout. And then it's like, they, you know, it, it, it gets ridiculous, but I think that speeds it up. So we'll be good. It'll, it'll, I hope they're doing whatever they can to, you know, you've got to maximize your money in the sense that, You've got to get advertisers. You've got to have those commercials. But finding a way to balance it where we can get consistent play where that momentum isn't killed, right? And, and you do it. So All right. now with, let's, let's move on just a little bit. Um, fall camp wrapped up for the University of Utah this last weekend. Uh, they they uh, have kind of gone into the dark, you could say. Uh, they, they do not have any media availability this week. Uh, they're just kind of focusing on themselves. And, you know, granted, this is the first week of school, so the players are getting back and doing all that other stuff. 
But the reality is, is they're still out on the football field and they still have to practice. But we don't really get to hear a lot of things that are going on right now. We're kind of in this dead zone. Next week, the first time we'll be able to hear them again is when Kyle has his press conference at 11 a.m., and then we'll be able to talk to the players that later that night like we do most uh, game weeks. The, the, the thing is, I don't know if it really matters this year. Some years it's really detrimental in the sense that we want to know more because there's more that has to be understood. Um, Kyle has, you know, he, he, he mentioned, what was it now, two weeks ago, a week ago, that he's, he's not really going to give up a depth chart. He's not really going to kind of sway people's opinions on where he's leaning. They'll know internally. They obviously know that. That's how the reps are divvied up and everything. But for the most part, everything's kind of status quo for Utah right now. I think, you know, coming into the season, there was, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a lot of questions. Every team has questions, right? Even Alabama, the number one team in the country, is still going to have questions. Utah's no different. They're going to come in. They have questions uh, in the sense that, you know, who are going to be the linebackers? Can the safety, or the not safety, secondary, you know, keep its depth? What is the punting slash special team situation? Those types of things are there, and I think that's there. But I, I think for the most part, this has kind of been a really ho-hum fall camp in the sense that there wasn't a lot of excitement. Yeah, sure, you could drum it up and say who's going to be QB2, you know, and you hope to not have to even get that far unless Cam is absolutely destroying it in a game and, and, and Utah's up by so much that you need that. Or Cam gets hurt, you know, you would hope not for that latter part because that really changes Utah's uh, trajectory and impact. But for the most part, I don't think there's really been a lot of drama in this camp. Rob, kind of what are you looking at right now? What are you kind of wanting to know going into, uh, you know, next week where it's game prep and, and getting into that Florida game? The, the big question that they've talked about, um, you know, oh, Cam Rising, he's 100%. He can throw the ball down the field. Well, we haven't really seen it. <laughs> right? yeah, it's like, true. It's like one of those things. It's like, yeah, that you can talk about it. And uh, and I kind of got personally snake bitten with this is, uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham's kind of had the same fall camp policies for years. And Jordan Wynn, who was recovering from a soldier, shoulder surgery, um, they just kept saying all the right things. Oh, he's, he's great. He's solid. He's going to be, you know, our starter coming out. And then they went and played Utah state and uh, he, he made it survive like three plays. Hey, I still have bugs coming hurt. out of my computer from when we were sitting hey. up there. <laughs> so I, I mean, <laughs> that is true. That was a fun, that was a wild night. We were but, up, uh, they didn't have any rooms back in the, the old, uh, Utah state press box before they built their new ones. So Rob and I got stuck literally on top of the, on the stadium, roof. right next to those massive lights where the bugs were with us. So my, my biggest complaint from that. That game was Jake Murphy getting called for pass interference. I'm like, what? Like, you're gonna call <laughs> offensive pass interference in overtime? Like, read the room, man. Like, that was just <laughs> he did. That, it, I mean, it wasn't. Ah, oh, jeez. Anyway, um, yeah. Sorry, I totally got that, you that off was the, the John the John Hayes breakout game. By the way, um, he did really well filling in. But because we can't see it, we can just tell you that what we're being told, right? So yeah, he we're we're being told he can throw the deep ball. Well, that's great until I can see it, right? Like I I kind of have a, that little bit of skeptic skepticism just because I've been personally burnt by coach speak, and, and not to say that Utah's the only team that does it. Every every team in college football does it, right? They want to project their players um, as as best as they can. They all want what's best for their team. So I, I get it. But uh, until we see it, until we see Cam Rising go back and throw the ball 40 yards down the field against Florida, uh, I'm going to be a bit skeptical, you know. Uh, we, we know what we're going to get out of the running back room. I think that Tavian Thomas, Micah, Micah Bernard are solid, right? But then you add the addition of Jalen Glover, who could be kind of the one of the surprising stars from 
uh, spring and fall camp, you know, that could be interesting. Uh, the wide receiver room, I think we kind of know again what you're going to get with the, with the main guys in Devon Vele and Solomon Enos, but some of these other guys, Micaiah Cope, um, uh, and, and even someone like uh, Jalen Dixon, who was, he's been on the team forever, man, but, uh, you know, somebody that is an upperclassman who hasn't really been given the opportunity to start or play significant minutes, he could be, you know, uh, a bright, a bright uh, light in the room. Uh, and the, we, I think we know what we're going to get out of the tight ends. The offensive line has historically the past few seasons already started slow. We've talked with, uh, you've talked to Andy Ludwig and he said, Hey, it's not going to be an issue this year. Again, until we see it, you're kind of like, oh, uh, uh, it could it be the, the one thing that I will say is historically Utah has been solid on defense, whether I see it or not, I'm going to just give them the benefit of the benefit of the doubt. They might, they might not be um, super sharp, but uh, more or less, you kind of have to tip your cap to Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scali and say, they're going to find a way to get it done. Um, Utah has enough returning production. Uh, th- they'll find a way to be good. I'm not going to say great right out of the get-go until we can actually watch them and see them. You know, I'm going to say they're at least going to be good. And then uh, the kicking game. I mean, we've had huge questions regarding the the punt schemes. I think there were three or four uh, either bobbled snaps or blocked punts or, you know, uh, field goals that weren't even be, be able to be attempted because the snap was bad. Can they get that all cleaned up? I mean, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of questions that I have just because we – I mean, if we were able to, to, to watch and see some of this, um, I think it would calm some of my nerves. But uh, when you're when you're just going off of what other people are telling you, it's hard to it's hard to know. I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think I think for me, the, the biggest areas that I want to see or at least show me right like you've talked about is is the wide receivers um in in spring they they did a phenomenal job there's a, a lot of great catches devon Vale took it to another level that i've never even seen from him so i think you know i trust that they always have one receiver that's going to do well and there's always going to be those things but for me i want to be able to see how they are integrated into that system in a way that actually helps utah so on that side like that's where i'm kind of looking at i want to see how that works offensive line i think they're going to gel you know, it's still going to be slow. I don't think that Utah is just going to hit the ground running, so to speak, in terms of that. But I think it's okay. Um, but then on the other side, look, I like you said, I trust the defense. I think we've watched Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scally. They've done phenomenal in what they are able to do. They're able to scheme in a way that it goes to their players' ability. We saw that like when Clark Phillips came there. He, you know, Utah didn't run a lot of man-to-man simply because, one, it was COVID and they couldn't really do that. And, two, they were trying to get to what their players could you know reasonably do so i think you know they're going to scheme well for me the thing on defense that i'm most curious about is the communication those linebackers that's where you're going to have that that biggest loss right i i don't doubt mo diabate i don't doubt karene reed or lander barton or justin medlock or any other of those guys that are going to be in that position the question is really going to come down to is can they communicate on the field in a way that's going to be effective Devin Lloyd was a phenomenal communicator for Utah, and he was able to help wherever it needed to be, right? He found his way to be able to be in the spots that needed to be. Nephi Sewell, an underrated linebacker, you know, he's he's fighting for his life in, in the NFL, trying to make a roster. But one of the things that worked really well for him is he knew his spots. He was assignment sound, and he knew where to go. Did that mean he made every play? No, neither did Devin Lloyd. But the point was, is you had two guys that communicated very well on the field together, and they helped that defense go. 
that's where I'm looking at. I have full faith that Clark Phillips is going to do well. Cole Bishop is going to do, you know, JT Broughton is going to do well. All these guys, even those linebackers, I feel like they're going to do well. It's just more how how are they going to communicate and are they going to be able to do that in a very hostile environment where Florida is going to do everything they can to knock them off that rhythm, to get them out of, you know, spacing and whatever that may be. So to me, that's kind of where I'm looking. I You know, like you mentioned, we don't get to see any of this and it's a little... For me as a reporter, that's really frustrating. I want to see what I can report. I don't want to just report off what people are telling me is happening. So I think that's where I'm at. I'm a little frustrated that we always have to do this. We used to get at least 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes after practice to be able to see something. And it was often special teams or something. But we would at least be able to see the vibe of the team or see different things that way. Now we really, you know, we're, we're in a situation that's the same as the fans, right? We're being told how they're going we're, we're being told in a positive light most of the time. Kyle was really honest last year and said punting sucked. It did suck. That's where we were at. I think Kyle's gotten a little bit better at, at diagnosing some of those things, so I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But I think that's where we're at. We want to see this, right? Like, we've talked about this a bunch. It's put up or shut up, right? Can you win, and can you do it at a high level? And can Utah really do that with the target on their back? So for me, that's kind of where I'm looking at it so far. And, you know, here we go. Like, first game of the season, we're not playing Southern Utah. We're not playing Weber State. We're not playing Montana. I mean, this is as tough as an environment as you could possibly play in. And Utah, the the toughest environment that Utah played in last season was down in Provo. And that game was uh, not in their favor, um, start to finish. Um, yeah, they, there were some bright spots in that game, but they they didn't win. <laughs> They lost by two scores. I mean, it's as simple as that. So uh, can they play in probably the toughest environment that they've faced since the big house in 2015, yep. 2014, 2015, uh, well, 2015. Well, big house was 2014. I think 2015, 2014. was when they came to cycles. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's really the last time that uh, Utah's played in uh, an environment that will be as hostile as this one will be. Uh, top top ten in the in the in the country, in my opinion, and toughest places to play. So, Utah will have its hands full. Um, it all starts up front with the offensive and defensive lines. But uh, hey, you you got an upperclassman at quarterback. You've got uh, plenty of weapons in the running back room. Right, let's kick off the season. I'm ready to start. Let's do it. And with that, let's let's give you a little tease, right? With our KSL Pick'em, Rob. Do you want to explain Ooh. what's going on with Pick'em? Yeah, so we've got 3,800 people signed up so far. Come to KSL.com, go to the sports page, and click on Pick'em, and you can sign up. Basically what it is is it's a season-long contest. We've got 15 weeks plus the bowl week, and what you try to do is pick the score. If you get the team of the winning team correct, then you're judged based on the curve. So if you get the the team right that wins, but you're way off on the score, uh, we give you a minimum of 10 points. Uh, If you get the score correctly and the winning team correctly, then you get the highest possible of 50 points. There are some multipliers in there, such as if it's a, a, a local team. Utah's not playing BYU this year, so I think the only one will be BYU versus Utah State that gets the double up points. But uh, it will pick five games uh, a week. We've got Oregon and Georgia, BYU at South Florida, Utah at Florida, Utah State at Alabama. That's oof. That was tough. Uh, and uh, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Those are our week one uh, games. Uh, each week is kind of a clean slate. We do have season-long prizes, but, uh, I mean, unless you're 
um, going to Vegas every week and can pick these <laughs> scores. <laughs> I, not me, right? I, I can I can usually get one good week a season. <laughs> you get but, a five uh, and a week. Go get that parlay. <laughs> I know, right? Five hundred to one odds. Yeah. Life changing. But uh, <laughs> I mean, so we're we're gonna go through the season. Each week is a clean slate. You can join at any time throughout the season. Uh, win some gift cards from Golden West Credit Union. It's a great way to kind of stay involved with these the local teams but also some of these big national games and it's and it's super fun uh you can join a group uh such as you know if you have an office or whatever uh you can get your team member team members to join uh and then uh coming up for the bowl season we have 15 games kind of its own little contest where you can try to pick some of the uh at least the college football playoff and then you know what is that 13 or 12 other games uh throughout the bowl season that we feel are the most going to be the most close games. I, I can't think of the best way to say that, but uh, the closest outcome games, um, obviously it's, uh, we're trying to pick it in advance. We don't know. They, they could be blowouts, but we, we try to pick good games. And if you have any ideas for games that we should pick, hit us up on Twitter and we'll try to accommodate you as best we can. Yeah. Hit us up. We, we always love to talk about different things, whether it be pick them or football or whatever it is that you want to talk about, hit us up. Uh, don't forget to go give us a review on your favorite podcast platform, you know, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever that may be. Uh, we, we'd love to hear how you guys think we're doing. We want to be able to, to be able to give you what you guys want. So uh, once again, go join Pick'em, uh, go win some gift cards, see, compete with us, see how you do, see if you can do better than us. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Like I said, we always have some fun stuff planned and we're excited to be able to get there. So uh, continue to check back in and uh, we'll, we'll do what we can to give you updates on, on this Utah football team for this season. So uh, checking out today, but uh, Rob, thanks for joining us today. I know it's every day. Yeah, that's right. I don't have to go solo anymore. So uh, happy to do that, but thanks for listening to the Utah Checkdown podcast and we'll catch you guys later.